0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first offseason edition of Breaking a Baseball News Podcast after the World Series wrap just the other day. We have a winner. The season is over. Uh, so, I am Tim Jackson here with you, as always, with TC Zenka, to go through some of that World Series, pick some favorite moments, note some notable things about it, and then uh, get into what seems to be already a busy offseason, despite a large cloud of uncertainty hanging over the league. So before we get into any of that, TC, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Who won? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't want to spoil it for you. I've got a DVR. I'm going to watch but I'm going to pull it up in a week or two. Uh, <laughs> Work my way through it. No, I'm good. I'm good. It, uh, it's always a little bit of a... It's actually kind of, you'd think it'd be a little bit of a letdown after the World Series, but it's actually the opposite of that. It's actually very exciting because, you know, the offseason, you know, rumors kind of kick in. Right away, uh, and that's kind of probably the more excited, the most exciting part of this part of the season. It's less, you know, sitting down and watching a baseball game, and more just ignoring my real life and looking at my phone, which is you know, which is what I want anyway. So it's it's a, it's an exciting time, as a, you know, as you said, we didn't really expect things to start, expected it to be really slow, but you know, there's already some stuff happening, so it's, it's cool just to kind of begin to see how things shift uh, you know very quickly it can start to look like a new league so that's very exciting
0: yeah and even in terms of expectations that we may not have met right away or not that we didn't meet them but that we didn't know how to to gauge was you and I were talking yesterday about will we be recording live during game seven (laughs) we are not very clearly uh you know Atlanta wins in six uh Jorge Soler is the (laughs) world series MVP I swear to god if somebody had a bet on that I hope they're extremely rich and extremely far away from all their (laughs) problems right now. Uh, You know, there were some other highlights throughout the course of the series. We have a few of them bulleted here to go through and touch on, but did anything stick out to you in terms of how the series was played or... Uh, you know, just the aesthetic of it. Out, you know, there was so much made of the starting pitchers not pitching much. Like, where did you land on all of it? What resonated for you in the 2021 World Series?
1: You know, I do always kind of look for what are those trends going to be that we we start to really look at, and we, we we always point to the champ the champs and certain things that they did and how they changed the game for the next couple of years. They're always copycats, and. You know, last year there wasn't as much of that because he was kind of the narrative was the Dodgers are the Dodgers and and you can't really copycat what the Dodgers do. The Braves were kind of a different thing. And, and, you know, going back to 2019 to the Nats, you know, there was kind of the narrative of the starting pitchers there and how they were being used in relief and used on their throw days. And that's something that we've seen implemented in these last two postseasons. With the Braves, the narrative that strikes me most is just, you know, just the narrative that's out there the most, which is this issue with their outfielders. And I wonder if it's going to lead to a more exciting or a busier trade deadline for us next season. Just because over this entire series, you know, Joe Buck and John Smoltz just talking nonstop about oh, Alex Anthopoulos. He really won the trade deadline here. You know, Eddie Rosario, Jorge Soler, Tober, <laughs> like, and just, yeah. just, just, just beating that drum again and again and again. So whether or not that makes the most sense, like that is an overriding narrative of this Braves team. And I wonder if that'll lead to other GMs wanting, if nothing else, uh, you know, if nothing else it lo- makes Anthopolis look really good, right? Like it's not like he necessarily did something that other teams weren't looking to do, but he made these moves they hit at exactly the right time, which is kind of what you're hoping for. And now he looks like a genius. And, you know, that was kind of a one out of 100 circumstance, right? Like most times you don't win the World Series. And those these little, you know, deadline ads are totally forgotten, uh, you know, because all these guys walk in free agency, right? Jack Tober leaves. Jorge Soler leaves. Ed Rosario leaves. Who's the fourth outfielder? Adam Duvall. And, yeah. and so I, you know, my first question is kind of, are those guys going to be, or are we going to have a busier trade deadline? Is that going to be copycatted? My second thing is just kind of like, how weird is it that the kind of the biggest faces of this run might be gone, might only have that time in Atlanta. Like all four of those guys are free agents, right? They all four could
0: and very well could leave. They could, and that that is very interesting in terms of just the construct of this team at large, I think, that, yeah, they very much all could not be there next year. They very much all could be in different teams. I wonder if they'll retain maybe one of them, uh, given the way that their team looks, and the Cunha isn't certain to be back early. He's saying May, but ACL injuries often take longer than that. Uh, you, You hit on two things that were really interesting. One is the benefit of going for it, which Alex Anthopoulos did. And it worked out. You said 100. I would put odds way, way worse than that of all these guys hitting. But I wonder how front offices balance it around the league in terms of winning margin and how much they can improve it. You know, do they value going for it more, seeing that a team did it, seeing that it wasn't the Astros that won, that it wasn't uh, it, an incredible Red Sox team that won, that it wasn't uh, the, the Nationals who won with on the back of, you know, mega contracts, and it wasn't. The Dodgers who won. Did I repeat them? Am I repeating the Dodgers? Uh, I guess it would be good if I paid attention myself. But, uh, you know, it's not these big market teams with these big machine type pieces behind them. It's it's these little ads. I wonder if teams will see a benefit for that. I wonder if it would take uh, a more permanent or longer lasting wild card setting to uh, maybe incentivize that enough. If it was a series instead of a single game. Uh, and it who knows maybe all of that is on the table with the the c b a set to expire in december. uh and Smoltz and Buck mentioning that Atlanta won the trade deadline, or you know like thinking like, oh, the Padres won the off season. It only works if they win during the regular season, right? Like nobody cares if if Atlanta finishes scorching hot and then falls in the first round. Uh, is anybody going to say they won the deadline even though that's probably the reason they got to that point and just fell short? Like I don't know. I I hate that kind of narrative evolving. I understand why it comes about, but I almost wish that it would like the the most important thing is still winning, and especially so in the playoffs. It's the only thing that matters. Nobody cares what deadline move you made if those guys don't help you win, and sometimes they're just not. It's just the nature of the beast. So I I don't know. I I'm very curious to see this kind of uh one off Atlanta team without their biggest star, win because what what effect does it have on the league? How much does it ripple out? Or are people like, I guess if we go for it, we could win, but I don't know how much it'll be yeah, worth. Yeah, you know,
1: it. You, you make a really good point in, in kind of calling these bigger market teams because I you know, my first thought was that it would it would, would push teams to be more active at a trade deadline. You know, because that's because I'm looking at it as like a, you know, buy or, or don't buy question that, oh, Anthopolis bought, so we should all go buy. But it might also be a question of, uh, you know, buy big versus buy small, right? Like, you could also see GMs going and not going all in for the Trey Turner trade, but contenting themselves and actually using this as another way to avoid, uh, you know, making big acquisitions and and investing heavily financially in their teams, like, you know, as they're always looking for reasons to scapegoat not spending money this could be another one of those yeah. of like, you know, we don't got to spend, we don't have to give all of our best prospects to go get Trey Turner. Look at the Braves. The Braves gave up fringy dudes just to get, you know, league average guys who could plug in and, and hold the line. That's all we have to do. That's enough. Right. Cause you know, Eddie Rosario is not, he's not the guy we saw in the playoffs. Right. Like that's amazing that he got hot right. then, like, the, Dodger, the Dodgers right. still won the deadline to me. They have Trey Turner next season. That's amazing. Like that's still <laughs> better for them. Like yes, it's cool that the Braves won the World Series, but like that's what the Braves won. They didn't win the deadline. They won the World Series. Like that that's what they get credit for. And that's kind of a different thing entirely. So, I don't know. I yeah, I mean, I could see it moving this other way too where it, it makes GMs kind of spend invest less heavily at the deadline but we do see still a lot of like uh you know floors rising on on contenders instead of ceilings rising as they just kind of like look to make sure they have enough bodies who can be good enough
0: yeah you know that's that's kind of a fascinating idea if teams maybe look to see how they can raise their floor as opposed to their ceiling and make way more calculated moves about their ceiling i think we've seen that and the league move that way over the course of the last few years especially in terms of free agent spending and uh, who goes where and how quickly they sign or how quickly they don't sign and the idea of raising their floor really does seem like it could be uh you know if you have that baseline it really can emphasize just how far you can go if things break even a little bit and then if they really break well it's you know we're we're Playing a lot into the acquisitions Atlanta made at the deadline, but they still had Freddie Freeman. They still had Austin Riley. They still had Ozzy Albies. Still had bona fide yeah. stars. Oh, yeah. Even with a loss of Acuna. And, you know, they still had Charlie Morton, which was a move, uh, a very conscientious one made in the offseason, something they seem to be kind of looking to do with but their rotation. A, on Another short term buy, though. Another uh,
1: short term buy.
0: Yep. With, that didn't cost anything right, but money. Right, exactly. And, yeah.
1: Because that is what they did. They raised their floor. Like, that's, you know, at the time of the deadline, they weren't really in it, but the division was such a mess that they were absolutely had a shot still. And and they looked at this and said, like, let's just make sure we have enough pieces and then give the rest of the team time to get there. You know, and, and you're right. Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, Ozzy Albies, Max Fried being the big one that really stepped up in the second half and kind of really began to put it together, yeah. like... Those pieces did gel. The other guys were enough to just hold the line. You know, Rosario was out for a while. Soler was out for a while, but they got some, they got four dudes. So they actually had enough to cover even without Acuna. And then amazingly, yeah. I mean, the Braves have been the other side of this for the last three years. Like they know the team that gets hot in the postseason, that's the team that wins. It's not the team that's the best necessarily. So you just have to have enough guys who are there who are, who could get hot and give you the best two weeks of their life. And then it can happen. And then it does. So I had another question I wanted to ask you about, though, about the Braves, just in terms of thinking another way to think about their win. Not so much looking forward, but more just looking back at this team. So every time, every year, you know, whichever team wins, I usually despise them, except for those rare, you know, magical seasons. But I always make sure that I watch till the end. It's a personal rule for me. I have to watch them celebrate. In part because you gotta let them have it if you wanna really celebrate when your team wins, but also because watching the team celebrate, it's always like, Oh, okay, so they're they are kind of cool. I do kinda like those guys, they're having so much fun, <laughs> you know. I don't talked about this before. But for every single team that wins, there's always a couple of guys that you're like, I'm glad they got one. You know, had the Astros won, Dusty Baker would have been the top of the list. That grinky would yep. have been up there, uh, Michael Brantley might have been third on that list of guys that you're like all right, you know, I didn't want them to win, but I'm glad they got one. So give me that list for this Braves team. Who are they like? I'm glad they got one guys.
0: I mean, I love Ozzy Albies as a player. Um, He's just so much fun to watch. And we don't really see second baseman like him come up as early as he was or as early as he did. So he's one. That's a lot of fun. I have loved Charlie Morton since the time the Phillies signed him. And then he blew his hamstring out four games in. I'm, I don't know. Like, Tyler Matzik, yeah, Tyler that, Matic, that yeah, a good he's got way
1: up there. He had the yips, man, had the yips. Third overall pick,
0: yeah, love Tyler Matzik, yeah, he's way up yeah. there. On that list, that's an. What inc- about What about Freddie, what about Freddie that's Freeman? That's an incredible though? story, and not only. Well, Freeman's there, yeah. Uh, what well, you don't have like a nemesis feeling about Freddie Freeman? Like I know he's like Mr. Good Guy, and he's gotten so much <laughs> he's, like, good the press. The friendliest and he's like so likable. <laughs> Yeah, but he's so annoying because he's so good, and you have to play him 19 times a year when he's facing your team, and it's just so frustrating because he is so good. So, like, I'm happy he won one, but he's probably going to stay there and torment our division for the next eight years. I I did hate the, like, well, in what could be
1: Freddie Freeman's last at-bat as an Atlanta Brave, (laughs) he goes deep here in Game 6 of the World Series. It's just like, come on. Like, it's not... I, I kind of got be it. There. I was like,
0: it could be his last <laughs> like at he, bat. They could really screw yeah, it up. It could be, yeah. It
1: could be his last at bat of this World Series. Probably going to be, could be his last <laughs> at bat of 2021. I mean,
2: could yeah, be his okay, last time wearing fair. those
1: pants. <laughs> the last time. <laughs> Whatever. Dude's awesome. He's really Nobody good. Nobody knows the condition
0: <laughs> of those cleats.
1: Anyway, I, th- I think he was on that list a little bit for me, but, but you're right. As much as I felt like he he would have been way up that list, I still kind of felt like. He's just so good. I, I didn't feel like he was like yeah. missing out or anything. Also, just because he's been at with Atlanta and they
0: seem like they're like he doesn't seem tortured at all. But no, and that's the interesting thing I guess is like maybe this is the uh, the the storytelling narrative in my brain where it's like he doesn't seem tortured. He's yeah. fine. He would have been fine
1: if they didn't yeah. win. <laughs> uh, another Terrence <laughs> but, Gore is he on that list for you?
0: I was yeah, going to mention Gore. Gore. He's gotten. He's gotten two rings since his last professional at bat in Major League Baseball. <laughs> two. Too. Not, that, that, That's that amazing. amazing.
1: I mean, it is amazing. Like he is like the the puncher of baseball, like the the field goal kicker of baseball. He like his yeah. level of specialty. He's just kind of just like dude. Just hang around. Just be around. Hang around in AAA parks until October, and then like, you know, get ready.
0: Yeah, and how can you not love that? I mean, like even. Like just goes to show the value of that kind of player and, and again, what teams they're willing to to, to do with their roster constructor come October. And uh, people have written about that all over the place in terms of the value of a Terrence Gore come October in the postseason. But that one was great to see. Uh, There are younger guys I really like, but like they haven't been around long enough to, I think, really enjoy them having one. Uh, Even Freed is kind of one of them. He's 27. Uh, Oscar Enoa... Is is another of them uh, or Wasker. Um Ian Anderson, like they have a fun rotation. Yeah. Kyle Wright, who um, only plays in the postseason. <laughs> like only yeah. plays in the postseason. Yeah, well, and he's one of those guys. It's like what is their development like, which is a bigger question for another time, but like, you know, they haven't been able to make as much with him. Um Jesse Chavez. I I young think. Young man Jesse Chavez. Yeah, he's one. Good for Jesse Chavez. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago getting those high leverage innings and like yeah. who cares that it totally oh, yeah. worked out. Snicker's um, up there for
1: most people Brian Snicker,
0: you know, organizational guy. I, I feel yeah. like I've heard the story so
1: much and you know, I'm just a little tired of it, but it is good for him and like, you know, if he were the manager of the Nats or the Cubs, I'd be like, "Dude deserves this <laughs> so much. He's such a hey. good guy. <laughs> Love him. Organizational soldier." But it's funny to see him win it at the same, just a couple weeks after we see Mike Schilt with the Cardinals get canned because get they were, fired, they were yeah. on such parallel paths, the two of them, like got hired at about the same time, had similar stories, of just like organizational soldiers. And Snickers well, and stuck Schilt around.
0: did with the Cardinals, you know, he did with the Cardinals what Snickers done in Atlanta really, yeah. right? Like got them to the postseason Probably didn't necessarily earn being there in terms of oh you know quote unquote most talented, uh so uh, really interesting in terms of parallel paths that didn't shake out the same obviously, uh, in part because there can only be one winner a year but uh, you know the the thing I keep coming back to in my brain is the pitching and how little the starters started and this has been a trend a trend in the league throughout the last few years. Do you think this is really a problem within baseball? Like, do you think teams are like? really upset about this or players are frustrated with it? Or do you think they're just like, I don't care. I'm on a major league roster. I'm just going to pitch when I need to. That's the best chance of me getting uh, success and being able to keep pitching to the point where I can be a free agent. Or is this like, is it an issue for real instead of just between people like you and me?
1: I don't know how it could really be an issue for real because as much as innings are being quote unquote, like taken away from starters, that means they're being given to relievers. And relievers are pretty darn <laughs> yeah. happy to have a chance to pitch in those situations and to, and to, have a moment to kind of be in the spotlight, right. especially with like, this is kind of a perfect situation where like AJ Minter and Tyler Matzik just like grind all season long. Minter gets sent down to AAA. He has to come back yeah. up. Like, you know, being a bullpen guy in their regular season, is not a super fun time. You get, you know, you, you let's hold in the bag a couple times a year having to hang out there longer than you should have been because of the rest patterns and whatever else. And now they really get a chance to shine in the postseason and really be central stars. So that's kind of cool for them. I don't think it's, I think it's just like a changing of the game thing. That's hard for us to kind of fathom and hard for us to really comprehend. Like if we don't have those superstars, you know, who do we have? It's like, you know, we want to be able to give all this credit to Max Fried and, you know, but he only goes six innings. And even that's, you know, the longest start of the postseason. Yeah, that was remarkable. And, and, you know, so there is this, you know, it's funny. It's like, we love the underdog story where it's like the whole team banded together. But when it's every team is that doing that whole thing all the time, then we're like, we're the superheroes. Like, who am I? what am I rooting for here? Like, we, yeah. we got 40, a 40 main roster that's really being used all season long. I don't barely know all the guys. Like, if I'm a... Not all Braves fans even were gonna know all those guys on the roster because just because of the way guys get used, and right. you know that's interesting. Uh, you know, who are the you know, Tucker Davidson? You know, if my mother-in-law right. is was a Braves fan, not an ads fan, like she might know Tucker Davidson. She definitely doesn't know Dylan Lee, or know who Dylan Lee is, you know, guy who's starting game four of right. the World Series, or game three of the World Series. Uh game four
0: of the World Series, game four of the World Series, right? <laughs> All right, who knows? i i uh i'm totally scrambled from the last <laughs> it doesn't matter half. but
1: the point is that like yeah you end up really just rooting for the jersey then because there's you know you don't have as many yeah. of those, the real stalwarts and that's part of the injuries too is guys get hurt pitchers get hurt a lot now and then they're just gone for a really long time and that's kind of the way of it i mean here ozzy or uh you know acuna the face of the franchise you know F- freddie freeman you know maybe still but like acuna their best player gone who cares just Just not not there we still just brave still win and and it it makes for like complicated legacies something like this but it's just kind of a a way of the game that it goes and which is just kind of something that we have to fathom with moving forward i think as we continue to have these like kind of legacy conversations
0: I think you're right. And I was glad that you mentioned cheering for the the jersey more than anything, because even as you were talking, I was like, yeah, people are cheering for laundry that happens to be occupied by certain bodies at this point. It's not like you don't get the career guys, you don't get the guy like Freddie Freeman's rare. Maybe that's why he's so enjoyable to see win for so many people. Not many teams have a guy who bridges them to the last time the team was relevant, which is what Freddie right. Freeman I mean, even, does. And he's been around the
1: Astros, right? This is the third world series in five years. They've what six, seven guys yeah. who were, who have been there for multiples of them. And I mean, it's a big part of their central team. Cause it's their entire infield plus McCullers, but there's other guys like right. Verlander who, you know, who was hurt, and Marvin Gonzalez who left or was there and came back. But like, you know, really just like four or five guys who have been there the, for the entire five years. And that's, that's not even like bridging, you know, two championship teams. This is the same championship team. And there's, you know, we think of it as the exact same team because it's the four guys in the infield, but the rest of the right. roster is totally different.
0: Yeah, which which really does, you know, make it unique when guys stick around. And, you know, they're probably not re-signing Carlos Correa. That seems to be the sense and consensus all around the league uh, but the Atlanta also seems like they will re-sign Freddie Freeman. He's been there 12 years already and longer if you're going back to prospect days. How could you not now? How and, could you not?
1: If you don't sign Freddie Freeman back now, it's kind of right. like, what's the point of even winning the title? Just p- throw it in the trash.
0: Well, he's also, he's also only 31. You know, so that makes a big deal to, like, just turn 31. It's not like he's got his skill set that's like Ryan Howard, that it's like, oh my God, he's going to be done at 31. It's like, no, he hit 300 this year. Um, You know, he hit 340 in the shortened season in 2020. He hit 295 before that, 309, 307, 302. And I know batting average isn't everything, let alone anything at this point. But he, he, talking about floors, like the floor is there with Freddie Freeman. And it's just like, if he hits the ceiling, he's having an MVP here. He, He doesn't, he hardly strikes out. He has double-digit walk percentages. He has an OPS over 800 pretty much every year, if not better than that. So, yeah, it's really hard not to see them re-sign him. And he is really such a unique case for the organization, and I guess for baseball at large. uh, You know, we're mentioning all of this. Did did you have any particular favorite moment as, as you watched the series? Was there anything that just wowed you? Any particular game or player's performance that did anything? Uh, outside of uh, you know the, the things we've mentioned, the things we've hit you on, No, actually,
1: I think for the most part it was kind of a lackluster World Series and kind of a lackluster playoffs or in, in postseason. I, I did not find it as compelling as a lot of years recently. I, I didn't feel like there were quite as many back-to-back game or like back-and-forth games. That that game five where the Astros went down by the grand slam and when Duval hits the grand slam in the first, and then they come back and win. That was kind of more typical of what we've seen last couple of years of a real back and forth game. But I will say the one moment that did really do it for me was the, the Jorge Soler at bat against Luis Garcia, where he hits the, the two run bomb just because that at bat. I mean, Garcia was at the end just trying to get the last little bit out of his arm that they could get. And he was, it was battling. It was a good, but Soler was just like hitting rockets off him. Just like, but but like pulling it, it was just out in front of everything. Didn't want to get caught by the slider again or slider again. They got him. In his last at bat, and he was just, it was just rocket after rocket, and it just felt like Soler was just like, like it felt like a like a fighter like circling his opponent, who just like zooming in for the kill. And and just like when he hit the when he hit the bomb, it just felt like, yeah, he was so close to that. The last four pitches, like good for him for sticking in there. It was a real like KO moment. And that was pretty cool because it was a real bomb yeah, and too. And Solaire was kind of a, a fun dude, and and definitely a moment. like
0: out of the park, landed on the street behind the, the stadium yeah. bomb. Like, like it, it was massive. a real
1: moment of dominance, uh, and and you know that was, you know, bummer for Luis Garcia, especially you know like a rookie who's pitching on a short rest in the World Series, like trying like, you know, the 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 odds are not in his favor here, but still, who looked good? He looked really good. That's the thing. He looked really good, and 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 did well. And if he could have, if he got gets Solaire there. It's a different story. Like he leads up to three innings, gives up one run. You're feeling pretty good about it. Instead, it looks a little different, and and Solar just owns him with that pitch. And, and I mean, that was just a, a real cool, you know, baseball showdown postseason moment. That was that. I, I think I'll remember that one. That's you, the moment I will remember.
0: I'm gonna remember that because of the 4K video that was going around of that. Did you catch that? It's 4K. It's like from just to the right of the catcher and umpire. Uh, and it, it just, it looks amazing. It's like, this is the perfect use of a 4K camera yeah. right now because it's so incredibly pleasing to watch this moment this clearly, this cut, uh, this clean cut. So I think that one stands out for me. I The moment that stands out for me, I guess, is not as happy. Uh, the Soler homer was really enjoyable, but I was totally fine with Ian Anderson getting pulled after it, uh, his attempted no-hitter. I get he only had 75 pitches, but... If you told me that my starter in the World Series walked three guys, beaned another, had way more pitches out of the strike zone than in it, and didn't give up any runs, and I got a chance to pull him before he got got to, right? Like, I would be thrilled. Yeah, and, and um, he's like a and young that, guy. That's what frustrated He's a young me. starter, too. Like, you know, a guy in his yeah. second, what, a second year?
1: Second postseason, for sure. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah, I think it was absolutely the right move. And and he wasn't gonna get through. Like this isn't the time to just like wait and see, oh, can he can he get through another four innings on twenty-five pitches or whatever? Like that wasn't wasn't gonna happen. He wasn't gonna get all the way through. Right. So, like you're leaving him out there to to give up a hit. Like that's the reason you're leaving him in the game. Like that's so counterintuitive. And you want to give up a hit to right. this like, lineup? That's the, that's the thing all you fans want. That's what you want. You want him to leave the starter in until he gives up a hit. You want him to leave him in in order so that he can give up a hit. Like that's that's actually right. counter to what the
0: goal is for for the Braves right. there. So I think it was the right call. I do too. Uh, and I know I said that already, but I, I think that just to me, I feel like we have to step back and remember we're still getting to watch baseball. And no matter how many innings a starter throws or when we take them out, uh, we still got to watch the highest leverage Major League Baseball we could have. And I think that is, is in and of itself really gratifying. And like you said, it's really hard to cheer for either of these teams, but there are guys on the team that it's nice to see. Um, even, you know, I, I don't know. I think I would settle in on the Soler homer just because it was so definitive, more so than Duvall's Grand Slam. Especially because when Duvall hit that grand slam, I did not feel like the Astros were out of it. When Soler hit that homer last night, or now as you hear this, two nights ago, I was like, "Oh, we, they should like they should be. They might just buy a casket. Yeah. They seem like they could absolutely." Be very dead. I'm,
1: are you talking about Duvall's grand slam? Which which Duvall homer? Duvall hit a couple, didn't he?
0: Duvall's grand slam, yeah. The, that when he hit that in yeah. game five. And they go up for was was nothing. nothing. That was exactly. Yeah.
1: I mean, I said to my mother in law, then it's like it was the. It's the first inning. Like the amount of times I've seen a grand slam hit the right. first first inning in a game that ends six to four when that team loses is just like so often, especially in the postseason. It felt like right. This is the right time for it to happen.
0: Yeah, and that lineup the Astros had was historically good. They had four four hitters. I think four or five hitters over uh 120 drc plus uh, again baseball prospectus is uh, measure of wrc plus which is a little more conservative so when they ha- when they have those guys at 120 it's really more indicative of even a better lineup uh i think there were only like 60 in the entire league and they had four of them like are you yeah. kidding me and they don't strike out and they and when they swing they bludgeon it's, a, you, it's like, a really good lineup. but you're done though man you're done yeah.
1: I felt like he wasn't hitting a beach ball if he threw it up to him. I don't know what happened to Jordan Alvarez in that series, but he just got, he completely f- fell out of it. Whatever, whatever zone he was in, in the ALCS, he f- the completely LCS. fell out of it for the world series. Cause that I had zero confidence in him up there. I think uh, probably just, you know, a factor of having all those different lefties who could neutralize him.
0: Yeah. And just in general, I think it that goes to show another way to appreciate baseball is like we have such expectations that I'm not sure are really reasonable to fit into a nine inning game over what a six month season, six, seven month season. So I, it just, I was fine. Like, it's frustrating. It's so much fun. Like we've talked about, it's so much more gratifying to watch once your teams have won and you can kind of just <laughs> yeah. ease up uh, and you're not a fan of the teams in it. It's like, oh, it's just baseball. I so I know Astros fans were like like basically, you know, biting away their nails and grinding their teeth into pulp and dust for Jordan over the course of the World Series, but also like he's still Jordan Alvarez, he's still a young player, he's still awesome. Like it just happens. It's like that's the fun part of baseball. Sometimes Jordan Alvarez in the World Series, in terms of what we just saw, happens. And I feel like that like it's such a relief that it can happen because if it couldn't then that would be so boring.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I have one last question about the World Series, and then I'm done with it. Is that, <laughs> is there some karmic influence, some some karmic thing happening, such that that has helped the Astros to lose two World Series on their <laughs> in their home stadium since they're cheating in 2017? I mean, it's it's a it's a small it's a very small you know penance yeah. to pay. Like oh, you lose the World Series, big deal. But this is now two in a, two out of three years that they lost at home. That's that's rough, man. I, I mean, I started. I mean, I know this doesn't come anywhere close to what the Buffalo Bills did in those, in those four Super Bowls, but you do start to think, <laughs> think about it. Like, man, like losing two in three years—that's tough. Like, good thing they did win in 2017. Yeah. And you know what happens if they don't? Korea's gone. Like, what happens if they don't win again for 30 years? Like this becomes like a real, we're like, in that space. We are out of baseball curses right now, but we got an, we got a fresh one here. <laughs> we need a
0: fresh one. I think this is huge. I think this is a big thing for baseball. Uh Specifically, not that the Astros don't win, but that they can't clinch on yeah, their own field. Yeah, can't clinch on their own field
1: <laughs> by, by having that one camera. They can't get it. can They can't do it ever again. They're gonna have like a hundred years. And you know, Red Sox curse is done. White Sox curse is done. Cubs curse is done. Like we need something fresh here. And I think this is this is perfect for it. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to the next fifty uh, years of Astros being unable to clinch at home.
0: I think that would be really interesting uh, in terms of karmic purpose or karmic cosmic influence. Sure, I mean, I'm I'm gonna buy into that right away because that's right up my alley. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm sure there's a cosmic giggle out there somewhere that Houston is uh, not only losing the World Series, but lose, you know, losing the highest profile game possible, but losing it at home. Yeah, I think there could be a little something to that. Uh, and I, I guess we could just leave it at that. That's a not, like that, I think that's cozy, right? That's a cozy <laughs> baseball note to end on. We we feel for Astros fans, uh, but yeah. There's a bit of a cosmic giggle going on there, I think. Uh, you know, we, we've got a bunch of... We hit on it at the top in terms of a bunch of things already happening around the league And so this week in baseball, these past two weeks in baseball, a lot has really happened. And we can start with these Astros as we move uh, through this news. The Astros are expected to retain Dusty Baker and re-sign him. And 73-year-old pitching coach Brent Strom is not returning as their pitching coach. Uh, So what do you make of those moves? They're both high profile for that club.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm glad they're bringing Dusty back. I think so long as he wants to be there, they'll let him do it. it. You know, this is probably, we talked about this before, is this his last best chance to win a World Series? Maybe, probably. I mean, the Astros next year for the first time in a long time maybe are not going to be, like, across the board favorited. I mean, just because losing Correa, assuming they lose him, is a big part of that lineup to be gone. And and I think they're still going to be pretty much the same team, but there's, there's just a little bit less certainty there than usual. And so for that reason, I think kind of bringing in a new pitching coach is, a good idea for them. Uh, certainly not that Brent Strom didn't deserve to be there, but you know, he's 73. If he's not all in, then yeah, time to move on. Bring, yeah, you want bring somebody somebody new in, and you've got so many young pitchers coming up that, you know, it'll be interesting to see who they bring in to help, help dusty, you know, corral that, that particular group of arms. Cause it's a very, it's a high ceiling group, but it's also a group that, you know, might just be a bunch of three, four starters. If, if things don't break, right. So it, that'll be an interesting hire. Uh and and it'll be, I think for the actually honestly, for the first time in a while, I think it would be pretty interesting to watch the Astros again because Correa's been kind of the face of the, the scandal with him being gone with them losing again. I feel kind of cleansed of my Astros hate a little bit. And and I and I kind of feel like <laughs> moving forward, yeah, you begin to see kind of a different team with Framber Valdez and Kyle Tucker and, and Jordan Alvarez, and you know, you still have Bregman and Altuve, but you know, Dusty Baker steering the ship and you still have McCullers, but it, they start to feel like a different thing if is not there talking about it all the time. So I think those are kind of impactful moves and, and you know, the most impactful move, you know, still to come in terms of who Dusty, uh, you know, installs as his pitching coach. That'll be an
0: interesting interesting choice for him. You know, that's also, it, I feel like all of that could really ring true is that uh, ultimately we could be seeing a new look Astros to a certain extent as soon as next year. So we've walked through all of these points uh, with Houston and Atlanta. Uh, we've got more news coming uh, in just a moment about the rest of the league. But for right now, uh, a little news for your ears in terms of uh, Samad and a, a partner of ours here at Pitcher List.
2: Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a P.O. Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff, plus you can hang out with our incredible Pitcherless community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherless.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code
0: And now we get to talk about the rest of the league, and the rest of the league, busy bees already. Uh, We can start with the Mets, I guess. Their front office search has been an absolute mess. Uh, The list of people who have turned them down is a veritable who's who in baseball, in Major League Baseball. Uh, Zach Scott was just fired yesterday uh, after his DUI, and there was information there uh, in terms of his court date being immovable. Uh, And that was that maybe influenced them. That was something Heyman was putting out into the universe. But what a weird thing to put out there is if, you know, like, oh, it's the it's the judicial system's fault. He got fired. I don't know about that. Uh, And on top of this, Jacob deGrom is looking to be healthy for next year, but was also planning to pitch in the playoffs if they had made it. Like all of this seems like a potluck of garbage. Right. Like what do we make of the Mets and where they are in terms of a search for a president of baseball ops? A GM and what they're doing with their ace. Do you watch or have you
1: watched any of uh, the morning show on, uh, on Apple TV by chance? I have not. Well, I mentioned it only because, you know, it's a it's a take on, you know, like Good Morning America and the Today Show and all those all those things. And, and there's the scandals that happened with Matt Lauer and, and the Me Too movement and everything. And kind of at the head of their network is uh, Corey Ellison. He's like their network head played by Billy Crudup just Billy Crudup is amazing and he's so good. And just like this older, like fashionable, really good looking like top executive. Who's just like left this pile of garbage to deal with, with his network (laughs) as he's just trying to get new anchors and the right anchors and anybody who hasn't sexually assaulted somebody to work for his network. And I feel like that's Sandy Alderson. Now he's just, he took this job and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to have my hands in the baseball stuff. I'm just helping this, helping this new group along. And I'm going to help install the new guys and kind of get this thing moving in the right direction. And now he's just up there being like, what am I going to do? I'm going to be running this team until the day I die. I, I cannot get this right. He's brought in <laughs> between Jared Porter and now, and now Zach Scott, it just God, what a freaking mess. And and all the other stuff that's gone, that's come out with Mickey Calloway. It just so much bad news. And you know, Sandy is trying, he's like doing his best to give it away. And and in the meantime, like one of the knocks against them is like, oh, well, nobody wants to take that job with Sandy Alderson over his shoulder. Like, no, Sandy's ready to go. Dude is like, I'm out of here. Like, let me get out of this hellscape, please.
0: But he can't find the right guy. Well, what's interesting, what's interesting with Alderson is he is uh, so significantly tied to all of the mess And I wonder if people wonder how much he really would be out as much as he just wouldn't be, like, the guy making the final call because he has been around baseball for so many decades at this point. Like, and his son is there, so it's like, oh, if you screw up and the son is there who is, like, you know, apparently has a legitimate background in baseball, you know, there's still, like, a, don't know. It would make me queasy. I'm imagining everybody looking at this opportunity and seeing it not really as an opportunity but an opportunity for – indigestion well exactly because that's the thing is like how can you actually go work for this like how have they not
1: fired sandy alderson it's not just about like yes he's had a big part of this organization for a long time and they clearly have had some deep-seated like very bad culture stuff going on but and just in terms of his recent track record dude hired jared porter which is a serious knock against him and then also at the same time hired zach scott promoted zach scott and, and maybe zach scott you know he's not as bad as jared porter probably but he also just got fired for having a for having a DUI and so to me that's two pretty awful hires in the same year for the top spot in your organization so i don't know how sandy alderson survives that mess and 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 how they expect him to make a good decision now it's like what good decision has he made in the past and who wants to be the third guy in that triumvirate Right, after Porter and Scott, like who wants to be the yeah. third guy, the third name associated with them? Like, yes, it would be cool to turn the we'll team around, deal but with... like you can't do that if Sandy Alderson is the guy anointing you.
0: I don't know. I think there are reasons to find uh Cohen disconcerting at this point too. Like I I am very anti giving billionaires nicknames. Like I don't think it's okay that people call him Uncle Stevie. I think it's really weird. Uh and you know, it makes him seem far more charitable than he is. Uh, just the nature of being a billionaire says enough about, uh, in terms of charity, I think. But even beyond that, like, he's really put them in a bad spot. Even this week, uh, minor league players are finally getting a trial on uh, something that's been lasted lasting for the last, like, six or seven years in terms of back pay, because they've been underpaid, essentially. Uh, which I, and I know this is ultimately a separate story, but they're bringing in Steve Cohen's tweet about Kumar Rocker, about how... Players are worth up to five times their slot value to teams, and it's like you've got a guy out there just saying that because he can say it because he knows investments and he knows a little bit about the baseball side of their operations now. Like, yeah, that that would be disconcerting. Like, and that's the guy who's setting your payroll and that's the guy who's signing your checks, basically. And and you want to have the. You know, you'd be in a position essentially to say, like, Steve, could you just shut up? Yeah. Could you just permanently take a Twitter break? Like, we don't need this. It's not. It's not making the job easier, and it's actively making it harder. Yeah, and
1: absolutely. And you know, the fact that there is, I, I go back to that that like thumbs down thing with 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 Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor, oh, which was a mess. And and you know, what what do you think about that? I'm kind of over it. Like I feel like those guys took ownership of it and, and moved along fine. And people are going to love Lindor and bias because they're really lovable guys. But I feel like it's a, it's a sign of organizational like chaos that that was even that, that that situation happened at all. That like Lindor and bias right. and those guys felt so unhappy with the situation there with the fans and with the city. So interesting right, th- such that they were doing this, like, orchestrated this like thing to send this message and there wasn't anybody in the organization to be like, Hey, like, what are you guys, how are you guys doing? Are you, are you doing okay right now? Like I know we're struggling right now and the fans are giving us some flack, but like let's hang in there. Like there wasn't any, any voice of reason to kind of pull those guys back from their bad instincts. Cause you know, Lindor and Baez are two of the most lovable guys in baseball. And you know, this was a, it was a bad decision. But I feel like there should have been people in that organization to help steer them in the right direction, and it felt instead like this is just like they're on their own, they're running their own thing, and front offices are are often their own thing elsewhere. And you know this is how it is in a lot of organizations. Like it's becoming more and more clear the disconnect between front offices and the and the clubhouse. But in this situation, right. where there's so many bad things already that even looking at a guy like Francisco Lindor, like they turned Francisco Lindor in one season from like the most popular player in baseball to a, a guy giving thumbs down to his entire fan base. Like that's not a Lindor problem to me. That's like, that's an organizational problem.
0: Right. It's cultural. And, and that's like, I, you were talking about turning Lindor into a villain. I I think of, uh, and you know, like Mr. Smiles and all that. Uh, I think of the Eagles with Donovan McNabb. When he was, you know, at his peak, and how frustrating he was for fans because, you know, the Eagles fans were still like fifteen years from mm-hmm. winning a Super Bowl. Um, I, it bothered him, it bothered a lot of people that he would go to the sidelines after an interception or after burying one at a guy's feet instead of hitting him in the chest with a pass. That he would smile. It really bothered them, uh, and that took years. And lots of scars were already there. And. Uh, additional scars were made by Eagles teams McNabb was on. So it's not that it was his fault. It's that there, there was time for, the, for it to escalate to that. Whereas with the Mets, they were on Lindor in year one. And I feel like that is problematic yeah. because it's not like you have to coddle the guy, but it's like you have to have a little faith. Like we were saying, baseball is a long season. He did get better in the second half. Uh, he, presumably, he's good enough that he's going to figure it out because that's what these really excellent players kind of do there's such a culture mess there that and like we're not even talking about DeGrom apparently saying yeah I would have pitched in the postseason uh like what a mess that could have been oh if we made it I would have been there it's like well and and we didn't make it in part because I couldn't be there and it's like yeah because you kept trying to pitch when you shouldn't have and the team doesn't know any better they don't have any influence on you it sounded like it was getting set up or primed to be another Noah Syndergaard story story where he's saying oh I didn't want the MRI like okay, Noah, we don't care. (laughs) You're really valuable to us. We need to make this. Yeah. Um, You know, it's just weird, weird, weird interpersonal stuff and intrapersonal stuff all throughout that organization, top to bottom. And I don't blame anybody for not wanting to take that job, despite there only being 30 president of baseball operations or GMs or whatever title you want to give it. In the entire world, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna stick where I am and just keep building. I'm gonna keep doing this because this seems like a, a better path than uh, you know, a one and done under fire guy. Um in terms of other big news around the league, this one really struck me. This happened in the middle of the World Series. Bob Melvin is leaving the Oakland yeah, Athletics what? for the Padres. There is basically zero compensation going to uh going to Oakland and we could talk about the Padres basically remaking themselves really organizationally with this move. How weird is this? This like this basically tips off like yeah the A's are gonna blow it up. They're they're reaching that point where guys are quote unquote too expensive. Let's just get rid of these guys. Bob doesn't want to stick around. Uh, he's gonna cost us a few million. We're gonna save that money. That's such a huge plus for us. Yeah, go ahead, Bob. Go be with the Padres.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, it pretty shocking. And, and you know, I think it's brilliant for the Padres. And I and I really feel like good on AJ Preller for going against his instincts and against what he's done in the past by hiring a guy that he can kind of mold like Melvin is his own voice. He's well-respected. Like he's been with, you know, he's run th- those, those A's teams for so long. Was it eight years he was with them on their sidelines? Something like that. It was a long time, but for the, for the A's, it is, it's a little bit surprising. I mean, I don't know. I I kind of felt two ways about it. On the one hand, I felt like, oh, this is shocking that he's gone. He's been there for so long. But I also kind of felt like guys don't stay that long. And this is an organization that's beginning to feel like they're moving in flux. and, And I didn't want to see him. I was not looking forward to the day of seeing Bob Melvin being fired. And So I'm glad that he gets to leave in a less acrimonious way, and and, and he gets to leave in kind of his own terms in, a, in in a way where it's like, no, this is better for Bob Melvin. This is awesome because he's a pretty underrated guy around the league because he's been managing in Oakland and you know Arizona before that, and, right. and you know, but dude is one of the best managers in the game, and I'm really really excited to see what he does with the Padres. But yeah, I mean, this essentially is it's a money thing for the A's. It's, they're like. Yeah, we're paying him like five million dollars a year now. He's really expensive because he's really good, and we're not sure that we're going to have a team
0: that's worth that kind of manager right now. I mean, yeah, we we could better allocate those resources if we push them towards squeezing a city, <laughs> squeezing the city into giving us a new tax-free stadium yeah. and giving us a ton of money for it. That's way more valuable. I mean, they have there. a
1: huge arbitration class, but like clearly, it. I don't know. I feel like the A's are going to be. A team in flux, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them, you know, trade off some of those, some of those bigger pieces, some of the Matt Olson's and Matt Chapman's, oh, yeah. and, and you know, to see what they can really, what they can really get back for him.
0: And he has been managing there since 2011, when he became in interim in early June. And it's not interesting. You see a guy take on an interim role for manager and then coach there for the next decade and that's what happened with Melvin he's been there since 2011 like you were saying uh he was ahead of the Diamondbacks from 05 to 09 uh he really just had one year where he was a scout I think actually for the Mets so yeah you know really 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 good hire I think for the Padres I hope that steadies that organization because we've talked so much about how fun they are uh, and I would love to see them be fun for a full season and we haven't gotten that yet a full 162 game season so hopefully he gets them there But I guess good on the Padres and I roll shoulder shrug at the A's because like their dance is so tiring, you know, like they they just,
1: yeah, I will. I don't
0: know. I, again, hard to feel bad for a But
1: I will also say about the Padres, like good on them. Yes. But also like we got to wait and see a little bit because this is another example of a guy moving from a, uh, you know, small market low payroll team to a, a team that's actually spent some money and you know i think going back to to joe madden leaving the rays for the cubs it felt like oh man if joe madden did what he did with the rays what's he going to do with the cubs he's going to be amazing and he was but also it's a different thing and I, and i and it seemed like some of the joe madden magic wore off a little bit so for a manager like for a front office it's one thing but for a manager you know bob Melvin's made the playoffs i think 7 years in his career something like that and it's all with low payrolls so Managing yep. a high payroll team does not mean you have like all these things in your, in your back pocket. You've now all these new tools and everything. All it means is that you have bigger egos to deal with. It's actually more difficult as a manager. And like it might be more difficult to get more talent out of the small payroll teams, but like, you know, no, now you have to deal with guys like Will Myers and Eric Hosmer making big time money and struggling to perform. And now you have to figure out how do we manage those egos with the payroll and with what it takes to win. So I mean, I I absolutely have confidence in in Bob Melvin, but I do think that this is going to be, it's a new challenge for him, which is, which is exciting. And it'll be interesting to see if he's, you know, as good in San Diego as he seemed to be in Oakland.
0: For sure. And it's really interesting. Like you're pointing out now, there are a lot of eyes on him and Oakland was always kind of the underdog little brother at the table because everybody knew their payroll constraints, but Padres, is definitely a different story. So that'll be really, really interesting to track, especially early on. And really, I guess, more as the 2022 season wades on. Um, you know, some other, actually, this is just coming across. Buster Posey is expected to retire and announce what? it tomorrow. Uh, what? Yeah. So that's kind of wild. Why? We've gotten breaking news here on breaking. Those stupid twins um, of his again. Ah, oh, those twins. <laughs> oh,
2: shake fist. Um,
0: stupid what? kids. Uh, no, apparently he uh, – where did it go? Where did I just see this? Uh, I see it now on Trade Rumors. Yeah, Andrew he, Bagley. Yeah. Andrew Bagley tweeted it uh, from The Athletic. Uh, apparently he invested in Body Armor, which just sold to Coke for a ton of money. Uh, the sports drink uh, company that Mike Trout has also signed on with and other athletes have Uh, But apparently, he invested a lot of his own money and more than the other guys. Uh, So he's he's a partner, and that company just sold. So he just made a metric butt ton of money, I'm assuming. Yeah, but Um, he was. (laughs) And I guess maybe he he saw what it's like to be not a baseball player when he, you know, he opted out of 2020. And we talked about how good that worked for him, but maybe it worked better when he was at home.
1: Man, that's pretty shocking. I mean, it's rare to see in baseball a guy retire at this stage. I mean,. 34 years old, you know, what is going to be entering his 30, age 35 season. But as we talked about, Jude was, you know, not at his peak, but like just had a peak style season and was going to make yeah. $22 million next year. Like, you know, it's not like, Oh, he's finally rich. Like he's had money and, but you know, maybe this gives him the extra security that he feels like he needed or, or, you know, he's got freed up to work on whatever project he has coming next. I don't, it, you know, he clearly is a family guy and, and maybe that 2020 season, did give him that, that kind of look into of like, yeah, this can be a life I have. And maybe the disappointment of the playoffs was a little much, I mean, what hasn't the guy done? Like he's got three, three rings. He's got an MVP award. He won the rookie of the year. He's an all-star again. He's, you know, maybe the best catcher of his generation or in the conversation for it. And, you know, he's going to be a legend. There's going to be a statue of him in San Francisco probably as soon as next year. So Yeah, man, it's it's too bad. It's it's shocking. Shocking, It's it's just shocking. And it's just too bad because he's such a cool player. I love Buster Posey. Like, he's so fun to watch. and He's so fun to watch. And, you
0: know, a lot of pressure on Joey Bart now. I'm already (laughs) thinking, like, right. Well, that's what I was going to say. Joey Bart has a, you know, he strikes out. He he whiffs so much that I don't know if he's quite ready for the full-time job himself. And if we really think about it in terms of, what they do? I mean, he had almost nineteen million dollars coming to him next year as a club option. Did Buster Posey, uh, which I think was the last year of his deal, maybe that nine-year yeah, deal was, he signed? I think it was twenty-two ago. million. I thought I saw now. Um. Oh, maybe. Uh, either way, now the Giants have that money to play with, presumably, because if he does retire, uh, and you know Andrew Baggerly does not want to make claims and then be like, "Oops, yeah. sorry, no, did come Yeah, true. I trust this is happening. Um, you know that what kind of. What do they do with that money? I mean, the, the Giants, we've talked about it. They've been in a position to spend. And do they more aggressively go after uh, both Chris Bryant and, and Kevin Gossman? Like, do they look to spread that money around because they're so good at making those smaller moves or at least have been over the last 18 months or so? Like, what do they do you with know, that? Like, do they feel more pressure to bring Brandon Belt
1: back just to have another guy in that clubhouse who's been there for a while, you know, along with Brandon Crawford yeah. and, and kind of fill that void? because. That is a that's a large that's a huge void to fill in that clubhouse, and yeah, presumably Kurt Casale, I don't know if Kurt Casale is still under contract or not, but he's a guy who could step into a, a timeshare role, who's been really productive as a backup, um, and could maybe see more time. Like I wouldn't be shocked to see Kurt Casale kind of be their de facto starter next year, uh, as yeah. Joey Bart kind of finds his way. But yeah, man, that's that's really interesting, and maybe the Giants knew something about this. I mean, drafting Joey Barton, and then they uh, they drafted Andrew Bailey, right? They draft Andrew Bailey, right? Yeah. You know, so they have a couple of good-looking catchers in the system, and they're ready to move on. And, I mean, for Buster, congrats, man. Like, he's been one of the... I don't know that Ava really rose to, like, you know, face of baseball, but he's been one of the most respected players of his... 12 year career. And, uh, you know, he is yeah. he is as close to Derek Jeter as we have had since Derek Jeter. So that's a big loss. That's, that's, you know, I don't know who takes that crown. Like maybe it goes right to Freddie Freeman. And, but that's, you know, we don't have a lot of guys who've been the central a central player on three title teams. Posey is really one of a kind. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad to see him go.
0: Yeah, it is a really big bummer. You mentioned the, the depth that they've kind of added the last couple of years with Bart, and it's Patrick Bailey that they just made their um, Patrick, their yeah. first round pick in twenty twenty, um, who is you know only twenty two and has only played in high A, so we won't, won't see him for a while, uh, if at all, if he pans out. And we have enormous questions now, and that like wow, that has a big impact on that team's catching situation and that team's leadership situation on roster construction for next year and because we know the nl west is so competitive has a really big footprint on that whole division right now which is very very intriguing a whole layer uh, like a whole onions worth of layers just got added yeah, to really. the offseason if buster posey retires as is reported here uh, that we expect by the time you hear this probably out there in the public even more unless you're a super early listener in the morning uh yeah very just absolutely wild um uh, it is almost yeah, that's uh it's <laughs> just dwarfing the previous catching news of Tucker
1: Tucker yeah. Barnhart getting traded to the Tigers. I thought that was going to be our big <laughs> catching news of the day, but Buster Posey as always just coming in and surprising everyone and just being the top dog yeah. here, man.
0: Big hit. Buster. Um uh, you know th- do you make anything of the of the Reds trading away Barnhart? I mean, they have Tyler Stevenson, um Barnhart has not been good with the bat the last couple of years below average, even for a catcher by WRC plus. Is this like, uh, we know he's worked well with good pitchers. Hopefully he can help develop uh, some of our young guys in Detroit and Derek then is full-time DH or, you know, like what, or, you know, full-time bench player DH. Like, is this just a depth move for them? And likewise, yeah, I think it's kind of a natural
1: life cycle kind of deal. Like Tyler Stevenson looked really good last year. So they're ready to make him their, their starter full stop. and, and, barnhart you know he's a good game manager has a good reputation as being a solid game manager uh 81 wrc plus over his career i think which is below average you know 87 is the mark for catcher so he's below average offensively but presumably brings enough value with the glove pretty pretty good numbers as a framer last the last couple years at least but he was going to make i think nine million or maybe seven and a half million like he's got a a chunky yeah it's a Chunky it's a money sum. and so that's, too, that's, that's for, a lot for Cincinnati. for a backup spot when you really want tyler stevenson to be the guy and to be the voice with your pitching staff and and for yeah. the tigers tigers have some money to spend like their this is their peril is already higher than it was last year they're at 94 million out or projected but <laughs> it's still well shy of where they've been in the past and we know that chris illich is willing to spend money for a winner and i think this is just a case of they don't, they have a lot of young catchers, but they don't really have anybody who's ready to steer that young pitching staff. And they have pitchers who are ready now. Right. And Tucker Barnhart's guy who can come in and really probably help that staff and help those young catchers, you know, develop into pros. And if they're overpaying him for a year, that's okay. Cause they have some money to spend right now. And, and, you know, it's not going to be a long-term burden to them and, and they're going to be able to right. better use that money in, probably in a year or two, when they've had a little bit more success and they look like a little bit more appealing of a destination. So I think that's, it's a, it's a fine move for both, both sides. A little surprising that it came so early in the off season, but I think, you know, for the Tigers, it's like, we got these young pitchers. We want them acclimated. We don't know what's going to happen with the CBA. Yeah. So let's make this move now, get them locked in so that while they're all fighting, you know, we can have Tucker, you know, <laughs> texting with, you know, Matt Manning and Casey, Casey Mize every day and Tarek Skubel and and start, getting ready for the, for next season. Cause I think they expect, you know, to be players next year, as, as we've talked about, we're, I think we're both pretty bullish on the Tigers in 2022.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. You mentioned that, you know, having that communication, that line open to their starters, because that's something we've talked about too, and how the org philosophy seems to have changed. And uh, by and large, it seems as though we'll get a work stoppage again, delineating between a, a work stoppage and a strike or, a, you know, a, a or anything like that the work stoppage happens when the cba is expired and it's a lockout the, the player the players are locked out by yeah. the owners so it's not a player that's happening thing. december December 1st um, that is happening yeah it's pretty much a lock to happen so people expect it but at this point they also kind of expect it to not interrupt the 2022 season uh, in terms of start time and that seems to be a priority for everybody given the last two years and how much issue uh, how many issues that has really caused for every organization for so many players. Uh, So it's really interesting to get them talking to each other now. I think that's something that we should uh, maybe keep our ears to the ground on. Uh, But for Cincinnati, I just hope that they have some direction that is distinctly competitive. They are such an odd team right now, and I've talked about how they were so much fun for a couple of years, and now they're really not doing endearing things despite an endearing uh, city and endearing people and some endearing players. Uh, I just hope they do yeah, something. Yeah, but this is a good this is a uh, good productive. move for them though.
1: Like they don't need to be spending this much money for Tucker Barnhart and Tyler Stevenson looked really good at the plate last year, and I, and I think it makes a lot of sense to give him the bulk of playing time. And you can get a backup catcher who can play sixty games for you for less than they were going to pay Barnhart. So I think as much as I hate their cost cutting most of the time, I think this is a case where it actually makes a certain amount of sense for them. And the guy they got back is a is a flyer, you know, an older prospect who had some promise, but hasn't done that much. And hasn't gotten very far. I think he's still in low A or something. So you know, they didn't get much back from it's just a cost cutting move. But I think in this case it is a move that makes some sense for the Reds. So hopefully there's not much more of this. Hopefully this is a move that allows them to re- to like allocate that money better elsewhere and not just, you know, put it in their pocket as we've seen yeah. in off seasons past with them.
0: Yeah, that's that's I guess that I'm being cynical and expecting that much from their end, but Uh, Like you're saying, business-wise or baseball-wise, it makes sense. Hopefully, business-wise, they make it good, too. Uh, What do you make of everything that came out with the Mariners officially declining the 2022 option on Kyle Seager and notifying him uh, in what seemed like a cold way and informal and distanced, but also was pretty standard? And they tried to reach out to him, and he didn't respond? Like, what what do you make of all that situation? Is this the Mariners... Uh, muddying waters, or is this Kyle Seager ca- trying to drag some people on his way I think out? It's more the latter, actually. I mean, not, but I would also add that it's deservedly so. Like, I think Seager
1: has some right to do this. I mean, with all that's come out, you know, it's absurd that Seager. What does Seager say? He hadn't talked to the front office in four years. Like, that's an absurd fact. Like, if you're Jerry DePoto, I, I just feel like that does make you look really bad. Even if it, even if as a GM, you don't have to be, you know you don't have to know all their likes and dislikes and stuff, but like, man, to not talk to a guy like Kyle Seeger for that long, that just seems like bad business. And, and so I kind of feel like, yeah, Seeger, you know, drag him through the mud if you want to. I think you probably deserve it. They were probably bad bosses for a while. You were on bad teams for a really long time. And, you know, I don't, and hopefully just, this is, we don't get too much of this acrimony moving forward. And it's not a harbinger of, of, you know the cba negotiations that are to come in terms of the relationships between players and and you know executives
0: i'm with you for the most part i don't know that it'll hopefully cause too much trouble elsewhere or be indicative of larger troubles coming even within the the mariners organization uh it does just seem like a weird thing to do on your way out uh but i'm not kyle Seeger, so maybe i don't know everything i don't know um whatever let's end on a happier note tc Albert Pujols plans to play in 2022. He is playing in the Dominican Winter League this summer, uh, this winter. Uh, How do you feel about this and all the things Albert Pujols has done and will continue to try to do in 2022? You know, I've been
1: pretty adamant anti-Albert Pujols playing baseball for the last couple of years. But I'll also say that, you know, I'm not watching Angels games like the rest of the world. I don't watch Angels games and watching Pujols on the Dodgers. I was rooting for him big time. I wanted him in the lineup as often as possible. So, if he thinks he can still do it and if there's a, an organization out there to to roster him, then by all means, I hope he I hope he comes back cuz the role he had on the Dodgers was perfect. And he was he was actually pretty productive surprisingly and you know, yeah. You use him sparingly. I like him in a, in a National League team. One well, it probably won't matter because he there'll be a DH probably wherever they are, but you know, you you pick his spots he's your last guy. He's your 26th man. He's got to be your 26th man, but you can trust him to catch the ball at first base. You know, more or less, he won't go get it, but you know, sit him on the base and he'll catch it. And, and he can, <laughs> he can hit lefties still. And he's a big clubhouse guy. So uh, like, there's, there's value to having him. and you don't yeah. pay much, much money. He's going to be a veterans minimum guy. So, you know, and fans like him. So I, I think there's probably plenty of value for an organization to bring him onto the roster, but you do have to have a roster like the Dodgers. Oh, you yeah. can, you know, work with a, a severely limited 26 man. And, and the Dodgers is perfect. Cause they have so many guys that can move around that. Like, you know, they didn't need him to be more than what he, what he did. So, uh, you know, maybe he's back there, right. wherever he is. I, I do hope that he gets a spot uh, somewhere next year.
0: Well, and he had 17 homers this season in 109 games. Uh, He has had a career high in strikeout rate each of the last two years. uh, And that rate is hardly over 15%. Like you're saying, can handle lefties, has a distinct role, knows it, seems to really embrace it at this point. So, yeah, I'm happy to hear it. Uh, Hopefully, he gets a a fairly good uh, shot. We get some interesting Albert Pujols moments and not like the sad ones. I feel like we feel as though we might have been left with the last few years before we got a bit of a palate cleanser here. (laughs) Uh, You know, we've... uh, (laughs) We've covered a lot. So much, again, going on all the time. We're, like, we're going to talk, we're we're talk for slow 20 down. minutes today. This is what we're saying. We're like,
1: what are we going to talk about? World Series is over. We'll be done in you know, 15, 20 minutes tops. And here we are, an hour and 10 minutes into this thing. And I feel like we still got another couple items we could run through if we if we wanted to.
0: Yeah, we didn't even touch on how big of a mess the Rockies <laughs> are, but I guess we can save that for the next show. <laughs> They'll um, still be a mess in two weeks. That They'll note-
1: still be a mess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on that note, TC,
0: why don't you tell us where we can find you? Uh yeah,
1: come get me at the usual places. I'm on Twitter at TC Zanka, z e n c k a. Come, you know, come get me in the Pitcherless Discord. We'll be back here two weeks from now. I'll be, uh, I'll be at writing at Trade Rumors this Saturday as stuff starts to happen, and I've got a couple of kind of off-season outlook pieces coming up soon, reviewing kind of off-season happenings for Braves and the Nats and you know yankees a couple other teams i'll have those coming out soon on uh MLB trade rumors so uh you know keep an eye out for me I'm, I'm hanging around and i'll be back here with you in two
0: weeks we'll keep an eye out for you there uh for sure at those spots you can find me at tim jackson says on twitter you can find the pod at breakingpodpL pl and at breakingpodpl at gmail.com if you want to shoot us an email now is really a good time Uh, Really, really good time to get us because we've got a lot of time to talk about it. Things will be breaking, but there's also going to be really interesting scenarios popping up. So uh, hit us up at either of those spots. Please uh, rate us five stars. Leave a comment. It means the world to us. It makes it easier for more people to hear us. Uh, And we we love nothing more than spending our time with you. We're so happy you choose to do do that with us and spend your time that way with us. And we'd love to uh, have it grow uh, and be with more people that way. Uh, So... Uh, Until then, uh, we hope that you have had the best two weeks ever. We hope you have the best two weeks coming to you, uh, and we'll see you next time, everybody.